the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3. It is a delight to bring back my good friend and our good friend, Pete Peterson. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Their website, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you are looking um, at a career or into or interested in a career in public policy, kind of some of the stuff we were talking about in our first hour, uh, no finer school. And uh, when we we're talking about some of the critiques we have of higher education school, such as Pepperdine's. It's the answer. It's the solution. Pete, happy Friday. Welcome back. How you been, man? Yeah, happy Friday. Good to be back with you, Seth. Thank you. You've been up to a lot of interesting things. I see an interesting uh, piece you just wrote with Jack Miller. I want to talk about that. Did you have Kate yeah. Cole James out there recently? Actually, tonight. Uh, tonight, it's, it's happening tonight. Tell us a little bit about that. This is the kind of stuff a good school does. It brings these kinds of diverse vo- voices, really diverse viewpoints. Uh, tell tell, yeah. tell the audience what what they can see if they see K. Cole James speaking with K. Cole James speaking with you guys tonight. Yeah, so this is uh, our uh, we have a dean's lecture series uh-huh. uh, that's named for. A longtime friend of Pepperdine named Gus Tagliaferri. And so um, we uh, like to organize the one lecture in the fall and one in the spring. And so this will be our spring lecture with Kay, who um, is actually a, a longtime holder of an honorary degree here from the policy school, going all the way back to 2003 when she was still in the George W. Bush administration heading up the Office of Personnel Management, uh-huh. um, but obviously a remarkable 40-plus uh, year career in public service that runs from the local level to the federal level to the state level, obviously former president of the Heritage Foundation, and uh, but we're going to be exploring the specific topic of of how her faith has guided her through uh, what is, uh, again, just a, an incredible uh, four decades long career in the public eye. Yes. And she was she had I'm working off memory here, Pete. I think she had a role, a personnel role in the Reagan administration, too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, she did. OK. OK. Yeah. Yep. yep. It wasn't it wasn't OPM, but it was something. Level, but yeah. Was, yeah. 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 Yep. Well, fantastic. And, you know, um, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you're doing things like that. You you bring in a lot of great guest lectures. You have a great faculty over there. Is Hayward with you now? Is he with you this year? He sem- is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's uh, teaching a couple classes with us. Uh, one is our uh, one of our core classes, which is uh, titled Roots of American Order, which is uh, kind of a constitutional history, why the founding is relevant to today's public policy issues. And then he's actually teaching a class he taught up at Cal, uh-huh. uh, specifically at their law school, which is kind of like a a law and public policy class. Oh, so, uh, yeah, delighted to have I was have quoting him campus. earlier in the show today yeah. um, from a post I think he put up at Powerline looking yeah. at the most popular 
college majors, the things you know college students most likely major in, most most frequently major in, and yeah. a poll done about their beliefs in socialism, and you know mostly in the uh, in the in the um, in the uh, social sciences and and in fact in um, in, uh, in in the in the philosophy, anthropology, English, international relations, and sociology majors, you know, it's yeah. it's like seventy eight percent routinely the students have favorable favorable opinions of socialism, and it's yeah. just incredible to me. I mean, in philosophy, for example, it's seventy eight percent favorable view of socialism. You know, you think about that. And okay, that's one one. I mean, we're graduating what four million college students a year, something like that. Yeah, yeah. The the piper, you know, sings that tune after a while, right? Yeah, no, that's that's right. You know, I, I keep thinking back on uh, a piece that was actually, and I and I use a, uh, I quote from this particular article when I'm giving public speeches on uh, viewpoint diversity or the lack thereof. Um, and it's a quote in a piece in The Economist in which uh, Greg Lukian, off who I know you know, was, uh, wrote the, co-wrote the book Coddling in the American Mind and has a similar book out uh, again uh, recently. But he has this quote that we used to suffer the, the what he calls the Vegas delusion that what happens on campus stays on campus. Right. But right. he said that that's obviously been disproven by events. Yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, and I think that's the thing that Americans are really waking up to. It's uh, I think it, it's always been acknowledged that uh, the academy is becoming more and more progressive. But it's always kind of been thought that, well, you know, once you get into the working world and have a family and kind of move into, uh, you know, a, a career that you will tend to leave those ideas behind. But uh, obviously what we're seeing is uh, people delaying marriage and those kinds of what you might yeah. call maturing steps in, in one's life uh, to later in life. Uh, but we're also seeing a greater impact of uh, higher education on a growing uh, portion of the American public. Remind me to come back to the marriage point, if I, if I forget to, the marriage and religion point, because it's hugely important important here. But that, yeah, that that plays off. I, I use, a, I have a few different stump speeches I use around town or when I give a, talks. And one of the things, one of my, one of my lines is um, that uh, we've had a lab leak in this country far more mm. dangerous than anything out of Wuhan. It came from the ivory mm. towers because it affected our brains and not our lungs. And it's just what you're talking mm. about. The idea or the concept that what's being taught in the universities doesn't matter when the students come home from spring break quoting French and Caribbean philosophers we've never heard of saying yeah, things yeah. that we could never contemplate uh, and we brushed it aside with exactly the brush you described thinking well yeah. they'll normalize mm, <laughs> no <Yeah. laughs> they didn't <Not> so <laughs> it took hold yeah. yeah 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 and and obviously I think there are uh, a few reasons for that um, one is that uh, for the the delaying of some of those what we might call maturing stages in yeah. in one's life yeah. um but the other is the ideological capture of many institutions of higher education is actually uh now spread back into the high school years yes sir 
And so people are actually coming into college already receptive to these ideas in which they hard, you know, a lot of friends of mine who are on the right, they see like the data out of a place like Harvard where, you know, 90% of students say that they're either uh, on the left or, or center left Mm -hmm. and think, well, wow, what is, what has Harvard done to them? But actually Harvard actually tracks incoming students and ask them similar questions about their ideological leaning. And frankly, there's there's not a lot of difference right. between the first year Harvard class yeah. and the fourth year. Yeah. And to me, the, the real difference is it's just a hardening of those positions that happens over four years. There's not the brainwashing that we often we yeah, no, there's about, a hardening in some of these and a sub- elite institutions. Yeah, a hardening, a substantiation, um, and perhaps an arming, if you will, uh, yeah. at, a, at, a, at a, what, more fundamental, more academic, more intellectual, perhaps, maybe even more authoritative level. I was talking about this in my first hour as well with a caller, and he asked me about, you know, um, the state of education and the college university and how it will be addressed um, without, you know, just fundamentally, you know, <laughs> you know, he didn't mean physically, but fundamentally plowing down what they have become. And I said, as difficult as that's going to be, I think some of the answer will be in the kind of thing you do and the kind of thing Mm. you promote. Um, Different schools, like, for instance, is it the University of Austin, for example? Right. Um, Right. The more people stop giving to their alma maters who kind of see the world the way we see it because they have mystic cords of beautiful memories of their times there and realize that they are endowing the undoing of the West and start retooling those monies to places like your school or your Hillsdales or your University of Austin. That's really where the magic's going to happen. But I did also point out, and I'd love you to respond to this on the other side of this break, if you can, we're hitting up against the commercial break. The other thing I said was exactly what you said. I said, but, you know, they have feeders. You know, these colleges Mm. and universities have feeders. The problem, if you're going to start... At 18 years old, you're starting too late. It's like trying to prevent a dropout from high school at the age Mm. of 17. Bob Keeshan, formerly known as Captain Kangaroo, is an education expert. He had a great quote. He said, people don't drop out when they're 14 and 15. They make up their minds to drop out a lot younger than that when they're 8 or 9. They just act on it. So it's kind of that, and I wonder if we can pick up on that when we come back. Absolutely. Pete Peterson is my guest, the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, and we'll be right back. Pete Peterson is my guest. He's the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. You can follow him on Twitter X, or what we call Twix, around here at Pete4CA. Pete, the number 4CA. So, Pete, I you know, and when we were talking about higher education reform, it's really elementary and secondary education reform for two reasons. One, I think the the mo- motif of education uh, from that leftist socialism direction um, has infused the profession and certainly the teachers' colleges that animate the, you know, or feed the profession. And also what you know <laughs> well mm. is that secondary schools, high schools, you know, they train what colleges want. Right. I mean, this is what college and career readiness in part 
means. <laughs> they, they, you know, this is they're preparing well, students for college. That's part of it, right? Yeah, yeah I, I think if if it can be shown, as I believe it can, that especially in our elite institutions, there's not so much a brainwashing that happens, but a, a hardening and a um, an encouraging. Mm-hmm. Of, of a particular position. The other part of it is exactly what you point out, which is the professional network and career formation mm-hmm. that happens. Mm-hmm. And so chances are these Ivy League graduates are going to be in positions of significant cultural, political, financial influence. Right. And that's what makes not only the, the role that Harvard plays in the lives of these students and in the lives of the broader culture so much more important. But it also speaks to the importance of what's going on in the high schools and how Harvard is recruiting toward that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if you're recruiting high school students that tend to be 80 to 85% progressive, that's not representative of the public either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember there have been a number of pieces uh, I'm thinking about the one Barry Weiss wrote for The Atlantic about yeah. Harvard-Westlake, right. uh, one of the really prestigious private schools here in the Los Angeles area, where parents are paying, I don't know, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year so that their kids can learn how terrible capitalism right. is. Exactly. 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 <laughs> and, and these are the ones that are then going on to the Harvards and Yales and Stanfords and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, thinking about how these colleges are recruiting, but then what happens on the other side, the fact that they do have such influence in placing people in positions of power um, through their professional and alumni networks, that's the other part that we really need to be concerned about. Yes, and the word elite has to be somewhere in this conversation, I think. Let me ask you a question. I don't I don't mean it to be silly, but when you look at elite institutions, let's think about maybe perhaps one of the most elite, um, the Supreme Court, let us say, for example. Um, do does does that does does that that herd of independent minds to use an old I think it's a Nisbet phrase, does that herd of independent minds um Get more offended by someone like a Brett Kavanaugh who goes to Yale but isn't mm. of that mindset, or is it more offended by an Amy Coney Barrett who goes to something called Rhodes College and Notre Dame Law School? I, do you do you see what I'm saying? I I think it's yeah. not an insignificant question. Yeah, no, I I do think it's um, it certainly is a question yeah. about whether it's the positions held yeah. or where they come yeah, from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm also yeah. thinking about what what happened in the protest on the Yale Law School campus yes. when Kavanaugh was right. selected. So right. I right. I you know, he certainly was uh, persona non grata right. uh after he was uh went through the confirmation process and so I think a lot does have to do with the ideological leaning and not so much where where the person came from. Kind of that goes back to our last discussion a little bit about Claudine Gay and uh, uh, Danielle Allen, right? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. She she just wasn't quite left-wing enough, you know? Yeah. Though better no, credentialed. But- and in many respects, um, 
not in many respects, in every respect, not just better credentialed, but more published. <laughs> I mean, with the kinds of things right. you would, yeah, I guess that's part of credentialing. In a well, sense, and I but. think fair to say uh, a wide, a more widely known scholar. Yes. yes. Right. Yes. I mean, this is somebody who would actually, who would actually run for governor of Massachusetts. Yes. Uh, you know, this is somebody that. Uh, and as, writes for the Washington Post, which makes me wonder, do they right. hate that? Do they hate that because it's outside the, 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 the small club that they have, you know? I wonder. Boy, you really hate to think so, but you you wonder yeah. what the conversations are yeah. on that yeah. on that board as they think yeah. about yeah. <laughs> who the next president is going to be. Yeah. It's too vulgar in a sense, right? To be running for yeah. office and to be publishing in the Washington Post rather than the journal of Something no one's ever heard of. The fact that she did that too, (laughs) which she also did. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. So, right. Yeah. No, it's it's fascinating to me. Um, But the answer, though, is these new schools. You could almost call them seeding these new kinds of education opportunities in higher ed. I think it's why the left fights school choice at the elementary and secondary level so hard. As much as they do, I think they, you know, they see a breach to their cartel happening here. I think, I think. Boy, yeah. Uh, I mean, and again, we we have school choice at the college level. That's the thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know that we we essentially have the school choice system that so many wish at the elementary and high school level being attacked by those who are benefiting from the fact that we have school choice at the collegiate level. But if you're going to play by the rules of the other colleges that have school choice, you know, you can't be Grand Canyon. Uh, you can't be, uh, what is it, Grand Canyon that the feds are going after? Yeah, uh, yeah, you, is University of Austin going to be taking federal student loans? I don't know. But, you know, if they do or are, boy, they're going to be under more scrutiny. I'll, I'll bet you that one. You know, you almost have yeah, to divorce yourself from all federal ties. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't disagree with that. I, I think it's really one of the great challenges that we face as we first understand the scale of the ideological capture of our education systems um, is to know that the people coming out of schools of education, those who are by and large running school systems, certainly administrators at the college level, uh, all the way down to the elementary school level, there is very much of an ideological capture of those positions as well, mm. which makes reform mm. extremely mm. difficult. But as we've talked about, there are interesting movements that are happening, particularly in what you might call uh, red states or even purple states in the case of North Carolina, yep. um, where state legislatures are actually getting involved in launching these civics institutes yes, yes. Uh, on the campuses of their you know, flagship state that's universities. Right. That's right. That's 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 of help, too. Let me take a commercial break. I want to come. This actually segues nicely into the piece you just wrote with Jack Miller. I'd like to focus on when we come right Great. back, if we can. Pete Peterson is my guest. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Pete Peterson is our guest. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Uh, Pete, this talk of higher ed, um, it kind of brings us in a nice segue to the piece you just published with Jack Miller, How Civics Can Counter Anti-Semitism mm. on Campus. First, would you mind telling the audience a little bit about Jack Miller? Sure. Well, uh 
a business legend, really, uh, out of Chicago, Jack, uh, was the uh, president of an office products company called Quill Office Products, uh-huh. and uh, eventually uh, sold out of that business. But has an amazing personal life story. Boy, I mean, someone who, who came up um, out of uh, some difficult circumstances and uh, obviously found his way into uh, uh, earning great wealth. And out of that experience, had a love, uh, developed a true love for the country that he has uh, paid forward both in the form of the Jack Miller Foundation, which supports a variety of co- causes specifically in the area of civics and, and history education, but also launched uh, his own nonprofit called the Jack Miller Center, which I am on the board of, and uh, really just a, a tremendous uh, role it plays in networking um, uh, academic scholars through a fellowship program, um, but also supporting uh, curriculum, um, a new website that is launching or that makes uh, founding documents very easily accessible, running programs for high school teachers. So um, just a a great patriot and one who has um, really put his wealth to work in supporting American ideals and and civics education. Thank you for that. Um, Tell us about this piece, how civics can counter anti-Semitism. It begins by distinguishing between something you and I have talked about, old school anti-Semitism and today's anti-Semitism. Yeah. So this actually came up, I can reveal in a, in a board uh, Zoom call a few weeks ago in which at one point in the conversation, I used this phrase that's helped me to understand what's going on to say that this isn't your father's anti-Semitism right. that we're seeing on college campuses. And by that, I mean, it's not the anti-Semitism that is the longstanding for millennia um, bigotry against Jews. Uh, This is complicated by and exacerbated by this ideology that we've seen, um, probably best described as cultural Marxism, Mm -hmm. that sees people as either haves or have-nots or oppressors or oppressed. And what that has done, that ideology has brought people who really probably never thought too much about... um, relationships in the Middle East or the role of Jews in the world. And when October 7th hit, it revealed, uncovered uh, many who had been um, uh, bathed in this ideology to say, well, really what happened on October 7th is this was uh, really just the oppressed uh, Palestinians making a, a rightful military response on their oppressors. And really what's happening in Gaza and Israel is simply this, again, Manichaean uh, dynamic where you either are the oppressor, in this case, in their view, the Israelis, or the oppressed, in this case, the Palestinians. And that's a different type of anti-Semitism. The one that you're you're seeing again on many college campuses and one that that ideology is being taught on college campuses and one that is 
just being applied to the Israeli question here, but has also been applied to America, that America is an oppressor nation. This certainly goes back to the discussions around the 1619 Project. This is all in many ways uh, supported on that same foundation, that same ideological foundation. And so the argument we're making in this piece is once you are aware of the fact that there are people that look at the world in this way, whether it's Israel or America or the West more broadly, you understand that there's really a corrupted civics. There's a corrupted history. Let me hold it there's right there. Cor- let me. That's an important yeah. part. Uh, let me pick up on that. You, you're good for another segment, right? Yeah. This was a short one. We'll pick up on this in a, at more length when we come right back. Pete Peterson is my guest. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Pete Peterson is my guest, and uh, among other things, we're talking about the PC uh, co-authored with Jack Miller. You can get it at realcleareducation.com, or you can find it at Pete's uh, Twix Twitter X feed, at Pete4CA, Pete, the number 4CA, How Civics Can Counter Anti-Semitism on Campus. Um, Pete, there's a couple things about this, um, not your father's anti-Semitism, that I want to I want to focus on mostly what you said in the previous segment, but I, I, I do think it's also of interest, it is at least to me, that the father's anti-Semitism or our grandfather's anti-Semitism, you get a kind of a good view of it from um, the movie like something like Gentleman's Agreement. And, 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 and what you see is that there was also a shame about it. There was a quietness about it. I think it's fair to say mm-hmm. people didn't strut, you know, they weren't proud in any sense of it. It was just kind of a quiet undertoned vibe, if you will, um, mm-hmm. whisper, if you will, for the most part and in America anyway. Yeah. Um, and that's another thing that's, I think, distinguished from today's anti-Semitism. Man, they're out there and they're loud and they are proud and they are violent. Well, but I think that it still brings us back to okay. the discussion around okay. this ideology and okay. what it is. Okay. Okay. Because what that what that inculcates is a certain sense of righteous anger on the part of those who have it. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. if you are seeing the world through this lens of oppressor and oppressed, yeah. and if you do look at the situation in the Middle East as such that the Israelis are the oppressors and the Palestinians are the oppressed, then your stridency, the the public protests that we're seeing, are seen as acts of righteous indignation. Fair enough. Fair enough. Which which one is much more um, liable to be public and angry and open and visceral about it, as opposed to right what you rightly described as kind of this private, reserved, you know, decisions will be made. Yeah, at, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> nice. Decree, but, yeah, decisions, but not promoted. Yeah, yeah right? decisions so. will be made. No, that's a great way to put it. Passive passivity to it. <clears throat> but it comes from what you were saying in our first few segments, doesn't it? Um, from the oppressor oppressed. Um, uh, 
what did you, what what did you call it dialectic or, or, or distinctions? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. right. That's yeah. good. Okay, because it comes from the kinds of Marxist theory that one read about in, like, say, the Wretched of the Earth, nineteen sixty one ish. Yeah, I think. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Um, it's oh, yeah. that kind of stuff. Jean Paul Sartre and Franz Fanon, and Sartre famously yeah. in the intro, but Fanon throughout justifying this violence as a form of liberation, right? In, yes, yes, that's right? That's, right. That's what yep. we're talking about. And it's that theory. I, there's probably no college in America outside four that we could probably name that doesn't teach that book at some point. Yeah. No, that's right. Or And you and I have spoken many times yeah. before about yeah. Paul Frere's yeah. uh, oh, Pedagogy yes. of the Oppressed. Good. It's yes. the same thing. Yes. But uh, And it's so funny you, you bring that out, the wretched of the earth, the 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 original version of this that I co-wrote with Jack quoted from that book. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, and it is very much of a, of a call to arms mm-hmm. uh, against the West. That's right. You know, this many of, again, uh, much of this ideology did not start as anti-Semitism. Right. It right. started as an anti-Western, right. anti-European, then became anti-American. Right. And now obviously we're seeing it revealed as being anti-Semitic. Right. But that it didn't start that way. And again, that's why I think trying to understand this as being something different. Yeah. And again, I quote, yeah. you know, Natan Sharansky in yeah. that piece about his important book on identity. This really is a question of identity. Who are we and who are they? And by the way, if I remember my Wretched of the Earth, my fan in Sartre well enough, by the way, that is how you get your identity, identity through what? Through yeah. that violent act, that is your. That's right. That is the pass. That is the gate. What's what's the word I want? The the the, the entry ticket to your i yeah. your pass key to the to to your identity and how you get what you and I would call terrorism defined as liberation. Yeah. Right. It's no, a. That's a, It's not the Palestinian yeah. terrorist organization. It's the Palestinian Liberation Organization, for example. Uh, you can yeah. do it with any no, number. That's of right. Groups. I mean, yeah. I I actually dug up piece where I quote from Damned to the Earth, and here's, here's one quote that I had yeah. in the original yeah. version of this. Quote, the colonial world is a Manichaean world, uh-huh. and in this world there can be no negotiation, persuasion, uh-huh. or collaboration. Uh-huh. This compartmentalized world, this world divided into, is inhabited by different species. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So when we think about wow. identity... Wow. Right. Yeah. It is us and them. And there it is the oppressor and the oppressed. And there can be no connecting point there other than dominating one or the other. Can you give me that species line? Fundamental, yeah. Sorry. Can that? you do that line again on the species that 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 woke me up? Yeah. This compartmentalized world, this world divided in two is inhabited by different species. Unquote. Sounds a lot like national socialism, too, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. No. Wow. You know, I mean, the, wow. these kinds of, you know, uh, haves and have-nots, yeah. all these Manichaean worldviews usually find in their ideological roots either Marxism yeah. or fascism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, and, and it's become such the coin of the realm and normalized, as you put it with your piece with Jack, throughout the curricula. So when you put the locus there, you know, that's, I take it, your answer, that's, that's how we counter it. We have, to, we have to have a counter to that teaching, frankly. That's, that's, that's the fuel here. That's, that's it. That's the fuel we need to replace. But to understand that it doesn't even 
have to start with a discussion around the state of Israel. Right, right. Because right. this worldview actually did not begin with a conversation Correct. about Israel. Correct. And that's where understanding that what we're seeing on college campuses, that ideology is also being used to condemn the American experiment as well as the Western, <laughs> the entire Western experiment. You really need to take all that in. Well, I think that's why people, I mean, I have said for years, of course, I'm sure you have, but you can hear it from the kinds of things that are uttered by the smarter public leaders like your Tom Cottons, if you will, um, that the war against Israel is, is just, it, it, it's, it's, it's just a totem for the war against the West. You know, it's just a totem. There yeah. is a reason that Iran wants death to Israel and the United States or replace That's or, right. Right. It's the same war. It's the same fight. And that, and that's the thing that that frankly makes some of the anti-Semitism that we see in the West yeah. and in yeah. America yeah. just so incongruous. Yeah. Right? Yeah. right. There's a much there's a much bigger enemy out there. Yes, sir. And we're seeing it revealed through this. Um, we are brothers and sisters with Israel, which is why the Russell Kirks of this world, when he talks about the roots of American order, goes to Jerusalem as one of those centers yeah. of of the American experiment. That's yeah. why the great work that's being done by Yeshiva University yeah. and their Strauss yeah. Institute Jerusalem understands and Athens, the baby. deep connections. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Jerusalem and Athens. Well, I love catching up with you, Pete. You're such a mind alive, and you've got such a great institution going there. I'm just jealous I'm not in my younger and more vulnerable years. Otherwise, I'd be one of your students. But I think of myself as one of your students. So, Adult <laughs> education program, here. ongoing education. God bless you, sir. Have a great weekend. You too, Seth. All right. Portions of the show have been brought to you by our good friends at YReFi. Check them out online at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFI-24. Have a heck of a great offer, a secure, an investment in a secure and collateralized portfolio where you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. That's a ten and a quarter percent fixed rate of return. It's not tied to the Federal Reserve or the stock market. And they invest tons of flexibility with you. You're in control where you can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. There are absolutely no fees. There's no attack on principal. If you need your money back, you'll get your monthly statement with no surprises. Investyrefi.com or eight 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 Y Refi twenty four. Young David, you've had three hours to think about what you're going to be doing tomorrow. I guess we're just going to have to wait and see, huh? Well, I'd sure like to. You know, I figure it's possible if I have like a couple of gallons of gas strapped to my back, <laughs> I'll go to, to to the Bible church in the morning yeah. and then hitchhike over to Barrett Jackson yes. and then somehow hitch down to yeah. the car show in yeah. South Scottsdale all right. all within a matter of hours. Yeah, good way to start your day at church. Well, you're not actually doing church there, are you? Who knows what happens? Who knows what happens behind closed doors? Yeah. <laughs> when we go behind closed doors. Uh, is that Charlie Rich or Charlie Pride? Charlie Rich. Or Charlie Pride. Charlie Rich. Fighting for Freedom is a great event. We got March 26th. Mike Gallagher, me, Brandon Tatum. Young David will be there, but the three of us will be on stage. Gallagher, me, and Tatum taking Q&A with you, talking about the election and our fight for freedom. Um, you can get tickets at 960thepatriot.com. We did a drawing this week, and we have a winner 
to announce it is Lynn Bellendorf. Lynn Bellendorf is our winner, and we will be reaching out to her uh, via email. She will get two free pair of tickets. Uh, for those of you not into um, aleatory adventures, you can buy your tickets online at 960thepatriot.com. That's David's word for the week, aleatory. Um, I tease David a lot. He knows that. You know that, right, David? <laughs> Silence. Burned. <laughs> huh? About Robert Burns. I shall Burns. never recover from these wounds. Well, it's because you were perseverating so much on Robert Burns. I need Burns. to start my uh, Scottish accent tonight. Yeah. Um, tonight, please. Start it tonight. Yes. You perseverated so much on it. I just had to, had to push back a little, but God love you. You know we all do. And uh, we love you in the audience as well. So thanks for a great week. Until Monday, if I don't see you at the GOP meeting tomorrow, I'm Seth Leapson. God bless you all. And there you go. Class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.